anyone who wishes to ask a question would raise their hand. Um, and once I see the hand raised, I will prompt you to unmute yourself and pose a question to the presenter, to Dr. Bashir, who will then uh, respond. And I see you straight away, Dr. Munzela Reza has her hand up. So I'm going to ask her to uh, unmute herself and ask the question. Thank you. Um, thank you for that presentation. It was um, really informative. Um, my question was, I'm sorry if you mentioned this already. Um, so it sounds like the curse of Ham is the kind of the source of anti-black sentiment in the Islamic hate that you were mentioning. And what is that? So is the earliest refutation of that Jahiz or were, were there works much sooner as well, specifically of that? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I'd probably say that I'd argue that the curse of Ham wasn't necessarily the um, the source of anti-black sentiment within the Islamicate. Um, it certainly was. It certainly played a part in, for example, as I mentioned in the transatlantic slave trade. It certainly was kind of key to that. But it didn't. The narrative didn't sit well with many Muslims. I'd argue for that reason, and I, and I mentioned some of them in. Uh, when I run through some of the refutations. Uh, Jahi is probably one of the earliest, yeah, and it's quite an early text. Um, prior to that, um, I haven't really come across anything before that. But again, I mean, what's interesting to me is when this kind of, when does the curse of Ham begin to gain traction in, in terms of its kind of permeation within the Islamicate, right? So, I mean, is it there in the early period? It doesn't certainly doesn't seem so. Um, so, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that in itself is probably something that's kind of worth assessing. When does the curse of Ham begin to kind of gain traction within Islamic texts in terms of a, geneal a genealogical study of that would be interesting. But yeah, I mean, Jahiz is certainly one of the earliest that I've come across. Um, I'd be happy to kind of be corrected if there's earlier works than that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. Waji has his hand up. Uh, salam, Doc. Thank you for that presentation. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, you spoke about like, uh, Muslim racism. Could mm -hmm. we say that Muslim racism could be a response uh, or opposition to um, colonialism? Because um, I'm linking to uh, what you said about in regards to uh, problematic readings and uh, Orientalist imagery. Um, yeah, and then the second part would be and what constitutes racist uh, or uh, a racist or racism? Would it be defined by the people in charge? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, um, sorry, there were two parts to that question. Could um, I was, can you just, sorry, repeat the first one again? It's just last minute. Yeah. Yeah, the first one was just um, when you spoke about Muslim racism, could it be seen? A response. A response. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I'd say is, look, the the, the thing I was trying to, get across and um, I don't know how well I have or haven't done this is that I mean I think it's problematic to look at race as universal the idea that race because again like people often use the term race uh, or racism as almost kind of synonymous uh, with notions of discrimination more generally right but uh, I'd argue that race kind of emerges out of European colonialism and modernity more generally because you have a very distinct idea of uh, what constitutes different races, scientific racisms born around that period. Um, and you have a very, kind, as I said, a, a distinct idea of what whiteness is, blackness is linked to Africa. You have uh, arguments that, you know, 
basically borders set up so that intellectually speaking at least or conceptually speaking that that can't be surpassed or uh, transgressed in a sense um and i don't think that you can see similar things as i mentioned in the pre-modern islamic okay you see far more fluidity and flexibility and you don't have these distinct races um as, as i mentioned um so yeah i mean i certainly think our modern kind of conversations about racism have definitely been impacted by by those understandings of of, of race um and you can see kind of the negative views towards certain communities in the modern day. Absolutely, they've been impacted by those discourses. But the thing I was really trying to emphasize is that they haven't always existed. Um, and sometimes, occasionally, when people are trying to challenge, um, you know, quite quite uh, legitimately racism within Muslim communities, they can occasionally make a mistake of assuming that these, these types of ideas have always existed. Um, and I'd argue that they probably haven't. So, yeah, there's certainly been an impact of that. Um, and the second, the second question was sorry. Um, yeah. So, w would what racism uh, is defined by? Would it be by the people in charge then in a certain era? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's absolutely the case. So the way the reason the world is structured the way it is is because because essentially you know Europeans were very good at colonization um, and empire building three quarters of the Muslim world w were colonized during that point and that's the reason I mean we're, we're conversing in English today because because of that right it's that's the lingua franca for for a reason um, so any societies are always governed by the hegemonic kind of um, leaders or, or thoughts of of that period and it's absolutely the case that whoever is in charge is ultimately dictating the ideologies that uh, you know, popular um, at that time, I guess, is one way of putting it. Um, so, yes, I I think in response to that. Uh, thank you. Also, just to remind the attendees, if you don't have access to a mic, of course, feel free to write your question in the chat uh, feature and we'll take it up from there as well. Um, Dr. Bashir, I just had a question myself. I mean, you yeah. did um, in your what seems to be a defense of uh, the Islamic in terms of the face of perceptions or accusations of, of anti-black racism, uh, you cited companions of the Prophet, historical texts, family members of the Prophet even, who are who are revered. Um, but is it, I wonder, a bit too reductive to say that the perception of anti-black racism within the Arab world, the ancient Arab world, all Islamic, is formed by a European superimposition of race? Because, I mean, although that might be a, a factor, because we know that um, I mean, uh, even in today's discourse about racism, which is quite topical these days, um, we see uh, black people are often to cite how far anti-black racism is ingrained, even uh, turn to instances of language and the, the language, how it uh, ingrains uh, anti-black uh, stereotypes um, and negativity. Well, when we look at the Quran, we also find within the Quran itself uh, about um, describing the Day of Judgment, where faces will turn black and faces will turn white as a result of their deeds. And the language is geared, of course, I would say, perhaps, uh, or suggest, that um, the Qur'an is speaking to the, the language of the time. So would it, might it be the case that the, the language already consisted of blackness um, having uh, a pointing towards negativity uh, at that time, or is that uh, an unfair uh, point to make? 
Sure. I mean, I think that's it's, it's certainly a fair point to make. Absolutely. Um, and of course, there are these kind of references. I think the key question for me would be to what extent are those references applied to? I mean, there's a couple of things. Firstly, as I mentioned, you know, when we're when we're talking about blackness, um, firstly, when we're talking about black com blackness and black communities, we're not necessarily even just re referencing uh, Africans, as I made kind of a point to um, when discussing Jahiz and others as Al Qasai. But um, specifically on that point, I mean, I I would probably suggest that certainly our own readings, um, we're not kind of insulated from the dominant discourses in our times and our our linkages of blackness in that way may not necessarily have been read in the same way um, in in the pre-modern Islamic that would probably be my response to that um, I mean whether or not they would have kind of seen it in the in that same context um, in, in a negative way um, as referring to kind of those types of communities or having seeing a link towards that type of description and black communities is something I'd probably I'd um, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of struggle with. I'd li I'd like to see uh, that type of causality before it's kind of assumed. Um, but that would probably be my response to that. But yeah, of course, it's, it's a legitimate kind of question. And as mentioned, uh, Goldenberg in his in his book on this kind of makes a very similar type of argument regarding you can see blackness always being um, you know seen as a negative. Again, whether that correlates or corresponds to you know that that blackness understood in the same way as describing black communities is probably something as i said i i'm not i'm not too sure about uh thank you so much funnily enough we have a uh, uh asking pretty much the identical question on the chat <laughs> on the chat feature okay. as well so i mean i mean yeah. what, it, what it does tell us i mean apart from the the, the quranic reference there uh, uh in Ali imran um, sure. aside from that and, and of course uh, other places we, the uh, hadith literature also has certain instances of, for example, when someone's sinning, a black spot entering upon their heart, and that would be erased when they when they seek forgiveness. So, I mean, um, yeah, like you said, fairly, um, whether or not the correlation is made to um, black communities is probably um, a stretch which well, has been I unfounded suppose, so far. Yeah, I suppose my, my response would be, as, as I said, when, when we use these terms, again, we're using them in certain contexts, right? Um, so until we appreciate the the context in which a certain term is being used, it's almost it's very difficult to kind of um, ascertain exactly what the connotations are and how it's being understood. Um, so, I mean, to kind of to kind of give uh, give an example, if we say where is the chair, <clears throat> obviously it has different it has different semantic meanings depending on what what you mean by that, and you'll understand that in that given conversation. But if it's just written down you can probably interpret in slightly different ways. Uh, you could be the chair of a meeting, it could be a physical chair that I'm referring to. Um, and in that same way, I guess that would be my my response to that. I mean, whether or not that, that same blackness in terms of the negative blackness, the black spot on the heart, or the blackness in, in terms of face being, faces being blackened was seen in that way, um, I'm, I, again, I'm not so sure about because as I mentioned, there were certain times when Arabs described themselves as black. Right. And if it was the case that blackness had this strong negativity attached to it, uh, would they describe themselves as black as as opposed to the Persians who were red, Ahmer or other colors, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of that's where I probably I, I slightly uh, take issue with it. But I mean, as I said, it's it's, it's still an interesting point to make. 
Uh, also, before I ask uh, um, others about questions, you did cite a couple of um, pictures, I think from Berlin and Lewis, etc., um, which yeah. kind of, you know, um, sought to uh, um, almost accuse the society of, of racism. In your research, have you found um, counter pictures of, uh, you know, where black and, and non-black or, or whiter-skinned Arabs are seen on those in that kind of images uh, from that time? which doesn't portray the uh, black people as uh, in a negative sense at that time yeah i mean so i i think that that was um i think that's that was the point i was actually trying to make sorry if it didn't come across clearly um like so no, you know but i mean i mean there are existence of, of other such pictures which which don't um or, or paintings at that from that time which don't have that kind of connotation yeah so i mean i think i think Again, just to, I don't think I'm necessarily disagreeing with what you're saying. I, I agree. That's the point I was uh, probably trying to make, uh, which is that there are numerous pictures that you can see because, again, the, the, the kind of argument that I was making is that, you know, we're reading race into the Islamic in a way that it probably didn't exist at that time, um, which is to say that, of course, there are pictures in which there are black and white uh, depicted in that way, but there are e equally pictures in which black figures are seen as dominating white figures um, and you know the point that I was trying to make was that you can see the the kind of uh, expedient usage of particular types of imagery that serves particular purposes right so when uh, when some of these kind of orientalist figures are attempting to you know demonstrate that Muslims are terrifying and Muslims were taking white slaves um, Muslims are depicted as black and when when they're trying to depict Muslims as being racists towards blacks, then Muslims are depicted as white, uh, and they use those types of images. So of course, these types of images certainly do exist, um, and they're used, as I said, in in kind of various ways, um, rather inconsistently. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to open. It. Are there any other further questions for uh, Dr. Bashir before we wind up? If there are, please feel free to. Uh, unmute your mics. Um, oh, there is one more question from Dr. Ali Zabojani. Yeah, go ahead. Salam. Um, apologies oh, for the beginning of the, the beginning of the talk. So, um, you know, th hopefully, I caught the I caught the core argument, um, and I think it was a point well made that um, some Orientalists are using, um, you know, are using tropes of um, anti-Muslim um, or Muslim anti. Yeah, Muslim racist, Muslim anti-black discourse, you know, to to normalize and to qualify and relativize their own treatment of uh, of blacks. I think that's a, a point well made. But as part of the um, argument, you know, you said that they're, you know, they've got this selective use of sources and they're not referring to this geographical widespread um, literature talking about black virtue. Um, but this, at, at the same time, is there not a double-edged sword to that argument, Harun? Because if we're talking about this uh, widespread literature of black virtue, does that not suggest, you know, that there was a need, you know, scholars from Jahiz to Sayuti to Mullah Ali, um, you know, felt a need to write about black virtue. So sure. does this suggest that there was a problem um, in society? Okay, regarding blackness. I mean, look again. I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Insofar as again, I don't see it as necessarily a double-edged sword. The the point that I'm making isn't necessarily that there was not anti-black sentiment that can be located in Islamic. Um, it's simply that 
I guess my overall argument is racism as the way we understand it now can't be projected backwards onto Islamic history because the logics that govern those societies differ greatly from the logics that govern our societies and the way we understand it. So of course, there would, it's not to say that sentiment, for example, um, you know, he writes his piece is because he's become the chief, one of the chief Qadis in the Ottoman Empire, which again is is interesting, right? He's, he's uh, um, originally a black slave who's freed and then becomes the Qadi of, you know, I, he's described at one point as the most powerful man in the Ottoman Empire. Um, but that's not to say he doesn't face obstacles on the way and some of his some of his kind of colleagues are very jealous of him um, and they, you know, they use derogatory terms for him. Um, and in response to that, he, he kind of refutes that. Um, but the key, the key aspect of this is really, for me, about agency. You can see that m Muslims um, and black Muslims and non-black Muslims were writing about color in this way in which they saw blackness as an inherent part of Islam and not something separate to it. Um, and in doing so, I think what that shows is, you know, and there's other kind of literatures you could probably point to in which Islam isn't just simply linked to one particular ethnicity or historically hasn't been. Um, and I think, again, for me, one of the one of the reasons that this trope is kind of very dominant is because of the kind of genealogical history of the way religion has been constructed in the, the Western Academy um, for a particular purpose. Right. Um, um, and so. So, yeah, I mean, that would be my response. I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. Um, it, it, or the point that I'm making is not that there were, you know, that it was some sort of racial utopia and no, was, no one was ever horrible to one another. I think, you know, human beings are human beings and, you know, you'll, you'll find good and you'll find bad. It's simply to kind of uh, distance or unmoor this type of narrative that Islam is, you know, simply an extension of Arab supremacy, which is very dominant within lots of these works. As I mentioned, if you pick up someone like Patricia Crone, she uses Arab and Muslim synonymously um, and when she's in which she discusses, you know, early, early Arab conquests, for example, um, which again, for me, sorry to kind of digress and go talk about this a little bit longer. But I mean, racialization is part of a broader problem for me in which when Muslim almost becomes um, a peripheral kind of analytical tool. So when you look at some of these history works and they refer to the Umayyads as the Arab Caliphate and the Abbasids as the Persian Caliphate and, and the Ottomans as the Turks, uh, the fact that the Muslim almost becomes secondary and not particularly important, the, the thing that's kind of key becomes ethnicity, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's kind of key to challenge that those types of approaches because Again, they're reading some history through a very particular lens in which Muslim almost becomes insignificant. I'm sorry, I know, I know that wasn't the question, but you know. Uh, thank you so much. Are there any further questions for uh, Dr. Bashir on, on this topic? If there aren't, we have hit four o'clock and I know uh, we're all fasting, so <laughs> I don't want to keep uh, Dr. Bashir much longer. Uh, if there aren't any further questions, that brings me uh, to thank Dr. Harun Bashir for his wonderful presentation, very informative presentation. And as Dr. Ali Azabujani said, it was also a very well-made uh, and well-presented point as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Bashir, for that. Thank you. And sorry, just close, uh, yeah, yeah, please go sorry, ahead. Go. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you all. Thank you so much. Um, I know I kind of I rushed through a lot in a short time, but um, thank you for kind of uh, sticking around and um, engaging. Um, yeah, I mean, just uh, Ramadan Mubarak to everyone. And um, thank you once again to the Mahdi Institute for inviting me. Thank you. And as you mentioned earlier on before uh, your presentation, that inshallah in the near future, once this uh, episode uh, 
lifts away, inshallah, we will have you in person at the Matthew Institute as well, inshallah. Inshallah. Well, on that note, uh, as I close the um, uh, close this uh, particular event, just to remind all the attendees that our next research seminar will take place on Thursday, again at three o'clock, Thursday the 20th of May. That will be our final research seminar for this academic semester and therefore for this academic year as well. Uh, it will be entitled Gender and Legal Personhood in Hanafi Law and will be presented by Dr. Sadia Yaqub of Williams College. So again, that's uh, Thursday the 20th of May, 3 p.m. So we look forward to having you all then, inshallah. Until then, once again, have a wonderful uh, rest of the month of Ramadan and do keep us in your prayers. Thank you.